Well, back in October, Pastor Dana and I helped to organize a gathering of 40-some leaders from all across greater Boston. Uh, we spent Columbus Day weekend at a farm in Vermont, thinking and praying together about how ministry leaders and workplace leaders could work together, could partner together more effectively to see the kingdom of God grow in our city. It was a pretty diverse gathering of people representing just about every demographic of the city and every sector of work. The business community, healthcare, law enforcement, government, uh, IT, real estate, finance, along with church and mission leaders together. Now, two things became clear to us over the course of the weekend. The first is that this is how the body of Christ ought to be operating in community, in real relationship and partnership with each other across geography and culture and ethnicity and denomination and even vocation. We need to stop talking about the churches of greater Boston and start talking about the church of greater Boston, unity. The second thing that became clear to us that weekend was that there is still a great divide between Sunday and Monday, between church life and work life. And that divide, that disconnect, exists in the mind of both church leaders and workplace leaders. And it keeps us from understanding each other and supporting each other and partnering together effectively to serve and reach our corner of the world. One of the participants that weekend was a business guy I'll call Justin. Now, Justin's an entrepreneur. He knows how to start things. He knows how to make them grow. And he told a story of how he went to his pastor one day and, and asked if there was some way he could use his entrepreneurial gifts to serve the kingdom. And the pastor said that the young adult ministry in the church needed some leadership and perhaps he could help to lead that ministry, which he did. But still he wondered, isn't there something more he could be doing with his gifts and his skills? At that point, the moderator, the facilitator, facilitator of the gathering, asked Justin if he'd ever considered putting those skills to work to serve the city outside the church. And Justin said he really wasn't sure how to do that. And he didn't think his pastor knew how to do that either. Neither one knew how to bring those two worlds together, how to bridge that great divide between church life and work life. Now, I tell that story because it reveals the importance of the topic we're going to explore today. Know your where. And we're spending this month or so trying together to discover our place in God's world, to hear and answer God's call on our individual lives, to find our go, to find our unique contribution to God's work in the world. And so far in our series, we have considered our why. And our why gets at the purpose behind, the unique purpose behind each of our lives. Our what includes all the activities of our lives. Our who involves our identity, who we are and who we're not. Today, we're going to talk about our where, and that has to do with our location, the places in which we live out our lives. And then next week, we'll try to bring it all together, and we'll talk about knowing our go, trying to understand God's call on our lives for this particular season of our lives. So when it comes to talking about your where, the first and most obvious thing we need to agree upon is that most of us spend most of our lives outside of the church. And that's not true for those of us who work in the church, of course. 
And I know some of you may feel like you spend most of your life in the church, but the truth is when you add up the hours, even for a very committed church member, a couple hours on a Sunday, a couple hours for group life, a handful of hours for volunteer ministry, the average committed church person spends about five or 10 hours a week at church. Well, add to that about eight hours a night of sleeping, which doesn't include the moments you spend sleeping during the sermon, okay, the eight hours, that's double dipping. When you put all that together, it still leaves you with about 100 hours a week that you spend someplace other than bed or church. 100 hours. And chances are you spend the greatest chunk of that time at work. Now, by work, I don't just mean a job that you get paid for. I mean whatever work you do around the house, the school, the neighborhood, whatever, the work you do that makes life work better for you and for those you love. And so let's face it, whatever you do for a living, whatever you do to live, most of us spend most of our time at work. Which means if we're going to think of our mission only in terms of what we do at church, we're going to leave out a major portion of our lives. A pastor and friend named Tom Nelson out in the Midwest made this discovery some time ago. It was kind of a whack-in-the-head moment for him, as he describes it, when he realized suddenly as a pastor, he was spending most of the majority of his time preparing people for a minority of their lives, spending a majority of his time teaching people how to live a minority of their lives. He looked over his sermons, and he realized that most of them were about how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to participate in church life. Those are all very important things, to be sure. But in terms of hours and location, it was only a small percentage of people's lives. If he didn't begin teaching people how to live their lives in all the places and all the hours of their lives, including work, well, that was going to be a disservice not only to them, but a disservice to the world as well. Because as we're going to discover today, our daily work is one of the primary ways we advance God's kingdom in the world. Our daily work is one of the primary ways that we advance God's kingdom in this world. And that, I think, is what the business guy, Justin, was trying to get at that weekend in Vermont. Pastors, please show me how I can use my skills, my profession, my influence, my gifts to serve the kingdom, not just by making money that I can give to worthy causes. How can I use them to make a difference in the world? And it was a kind of an aha moment for me there that weekend because I realized that as pastors, we still have a long way to go at helping people connect their Sunday and their Monday, their work life and their faith life. And so whether like Justin, you start stuff for a living or build stuff or fix stuff or sell stuff or manage stuff or create stuff or cook stuff or clean stuff or teach stuff, there's a way to do that stuff in a way that aligns with God's call on your lives. So with that in mind, let's go once again to the book of Ephesians, which is kind of the foundation for our series here. We're going to be in chapter 4, 
a passage that we have read and I have taught many times, but I'll have to confess, I had some whack-in-the-head moments as I worked through this passage yet again in light of this whole topic. So let's kind of walk through it and see what we can learn. I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll see if we can connect our where to our why and our what and our who. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Paul begins by reminding us of the unity of the church. There is one body of Christ in all the world. And everyone who confesses faith in Christ is a member of that one body. That's true for us here at Grace. We are one church in many locations. There's a unity about it. It's true for us here in Greater Boston. We are the church, part of the church of Greater Boston, not one of the churches of Greater Boston. There's a unity here. And as hard as it is to believe, it is also true of Philadelphia Eagles fans and New England Patriot fans on the eve of the big game. One in Christ. It's actually probably New England fans and the rest of the country, if truth be told, but you know that already. One in Christ. But within that unity, there's incredible diversity. Not just diversity of age and gender and social status and personality, but diversity of calling. Paul says, to each one, grace has been given. Which means that every single person in this room, or whatever room you're sitting in right now, every single person has a unique role to play in this body of Christ and in the larger body of Christ. We've each been given a different why and what and who, and we live it out in different places, different wheres. Let's jump down to verse 11. So Christ gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul goes on to describe a handful of gifts or roles in the church. Apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, teachers. Now most scholars agree these are, he's probably describing offices within the church. These words are used throughout the New Testament to describe people who play a particular function in the church as leaders or give their full-time service to the church, what we today would call clergy. I really don't like being called clergy, except when I need a parking place at the hospital. But otherwise, (laughs) clergy is kind of a strange word, but it is what it is, and that's who we are, I suppose. But what about everybody else? What about the Justins of the world? What about most of you who don't get paid to be part of a church ministry or some kind of a mission? Where, do, where does everybody else fit in? Well, look again at the verse. Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built out. 
build up. It turns out the role of church leaders is to equip, to prepare, to mobilize everybody else in the church to go out and do works of service, works of ministry, works of mission, and to do that in the places they spend most of their lives. Now, that word there translated work in the Greek language, it's the word ergon, from which we get ergonomics, which is the science of people's efficiency in working environments. It's not a church word. It's a business word. It's a, it's a workplace word. Anything that requires effort and energy to get accomplished. And all this work is to be done, Paul says, in ways that actually serve people. Ways that make life and the world better. That's what work is about. I mean, that, that, that's why work was given to us and why it was given to creation. It's why Adam and Eve were put into the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, the Garden of Eden was beautiful. It was perfect, but it wasn't complete. It wasn't everything God wanted it to be. He put Adam and Eve there, the man and the woman, to work it to be, help it become more beautiful, more productive, more fully what he had in mind from the beginning. And that's what work is, is all about. Whatever your work is, when you do it well, if it's good work, it's work that makes life better, that makes the world better, a little more like what God has in mind. I stopped for coffee this morning on my, on my way over here to church. Now, someone had to get there early enough to open up the place so they'd be ready for business. Someone had to design and invent the app that I used on my phone to order and pay for my coffee. Someone had to make my coffee exactly the way I want it and hand it to me, telling me to have a good day, sweetheart. <laughs> really? So in 90 seconds, I'm in and out and on my way to church, feeling refreshed like I'm somebody's sweetheart and, and fully caffeinated. When you add that to the fullness of the Spirit, I'm ready to go. That's good for me. It's good for you. This makes life better. But more seriously, think for a minute about the work that you do. And again, I'm not just talking about work you get paid for. Think about the work you do each day to make life work for you and for those you love. That work, if it's good work and it's done well, it advances the kingdom of God in this world. If you work in education, you're advancing knowledge and human potential. If you work in law or law enforcement, you're advancing justice and order. If you serve in the military, you're promoting, preserving peace and freedom in the world. If you work in manufacturing, you're producing goods that make life better, easy, fuller for other people. If you work in sales, you're connecting people with those goods that they need. If you work in medicine, you're helping people to be healthy and vibrant and productive. If you work in the media, you're advancing the flow of information to people and probably making life a little more interesting as well. If you work in construction, you're creating spaces for people to live and work in. If you work in information technology, you are accelerating human endeavors in just about every arena of life. 
If you work in finance, you are stewarding other people's money for their good and for the good of society. If you work in, in, if you're a parent, you are raising up the next generation of Christ followers. If you're retired, you're probably working harder than you ever thought you would as you contribute to your family and the community and the church that you're part of. And if you work in the coffee business, you're making everybody happier. It's the way it works. Whatever your work is, if it's good work and you do it well, you are making the world more beautiful, more productive, more just, more God-honoring. And our work as church leaders is to equip you and inspire you and mobilize you to go out and do that work to the best of your ability, to the glory of God and for the good of the world. I have to confess, I've always understood this phrase, always taught this phrase, works of service. I've always thought of it in terms of service to the church. That, that my job as a pastor is to equip God's people to serve the church, to teach Sunday school or to lead worship or to help in the parking lot or to help organize the young adult ministry. And that's, that's true. Those are good things to do. But there's nothing in the text that limits works of service to work done inside the church. The world needs your gifts as well. Your gift of hospitality, your gift of mercy, your gift of leadership, your gift of administration, your gift of teaching, your gift of helps, your gift of service, your gift of compassion. The, the world needs those gifts just as much as the church needs those gifts. So my role as a church leader is to equip you and challenge you to use those gifts, not just in the church, but outside the church to advance God's work in this world. And, and when I do my work well and you do your work well, listen to what happens. So that the body of Christ may be built up, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When we get this right, when church leaders get it right and working people get it right, when we get this right, the body of Christ becomes stronger. The body of Christ becomes more present, more visible, more impactful in the world. Let's just think about this body of Christ image for a minute. Why was Christ given a body? Why did Jesus have to come in the flesh? I mean, God was already present and active in the world, right? He was present in the temple. People could worship him there. He was speaking to people through the scriptures. They could hear his voice. He was revealing his power in creation. They could see that he was a great God. God was already present and active in the world. People needed the word made flesh, living and working among them. Christ was given a body so that he could lie in a manger in Bethlehem and be seen by shepherds and magi. Jesus was given a body so that he could work in a carpenter's shop with his father and rub shoulders with clients and customers and suppliers and competitors. Jesus was given a body so that he could ride in a boat with fishermen and walk along the road with people 
and teach them as he went. Jesus was given a body so that he could actually feed hungry people, so that he could put children in his arms and bless them, so that he could touch people and heal them of their diseases, so that he could confront the powers of darkness with his voice and his presence. He was given a body so that he could share our griefs and feel our pain and suffer the consequences of our failures. He was given a body to be with us in all the ways that would transform and save and heal us and this world. But he's not here anymore. He returned to heaven. And that's why we're here. We are now the body of Christ. Just as the Father sent Jesus in the world, Jesus now sends us into the world to be his hands and feet individually and collectively. We are the presence of Christ in the world. Again, I've always taught that spiritual gifts were given for the sake of the church to make the church stronger and healthier, and that's certainly true. But the gifts were also given for the sake of the world because when the church attains the fullness of Christ, that's good for the world, and we have a stronger, greater impact on the world around us. And so our gifts... Your gifts, your passions, aren't just given to serve the church. They're given to be used outside the church, including the places in which you work. In schools and factories and farms and office buildings and hospitals and courtrooms and laboratories and all the places we go from week to week. And our role as church leaders is to equip you to go there with joy and power and confidence. To go places pastors don't usually get to go. Uh, another pastor named Mark Green describes this concept here as the, the front line of ministry or the front line of mission. Now, we're familiar with front line language from, from the battlefield. We know that the front line is where the battle is actually fought. That's where the enemy is engaged. That's where the action takes place. Now, there's important work going on behind the front lines, supply and support and strategy, but, but the enemy is engaged on the front line. That's where the action is. That's where it will be won or lost. That's where the heroes are. When it comes to the work of the kingdom, the front line is not at church. The front line is out there in all the places where you engage a fallen world, where you, where you meet needs and solve problems and put right what's been wrong. And bring the presence of Christ to those who need to know him. Our church leaders work behind the scenes. We provide support and supply and strategy. But you're the heroes. You are the ones out there on the front line. This past uh, Monday evening, we had a great celebration here uh, at, at, at Grace and Lexington for Celebrate Recovery. As we said last week, it was their 10th anniversary. So we had a big blowout, a whole crowd of people over here in the courtyard, and a variety of people came and told their stories of recovery. Recovery for, from everything from uh, drug and alcohol addiction to disordered eating to pornography to codependency and perfectionism and people-pleasing and, and all kinds of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And the stories were inspiring. One of the guys came, a guy named John, and told his story of, of recovery from drug and alcohol abuse. But, and he just went on to talk about how important CR and Grace Chapel had been in that recovery. But he finished by reminding us that 
It's still very challenging to go out and live for Christ, to live a life of faith in the rough and tumble world in which he finds himself. And looking out at the church crowd there in the courtyard, listening politely, he said, and I quote, I don't work with people like you. I work in the trades, he said. There's no God there. I have to bring my own. <laughs> That's the front line, where you have to bring your own God, where you have to bring the kingdom. And you get to go to those places, and pastors like me don't get there nearly as often. Your front line is the place or places where you engage a fallen world and seeking people. Your front line is the place or places in which you engage a fallen world and seeking people. And your mission is to bring God to that place, to bring the kingdom to that place, not just by your witness, that's a part of it, but by your work, by the quality of your work, which will serve the common good, advance the values of the kingdom, and bring the presence of Christ to your sector of society. So for Justin the entrepreneur, that means in addition to his money-making businesses, he will go out and start some businesses, profitable, hopefully, but to start a business perhaps in an under-resourced community to try to bring some economic vitality to that neighborhood, to provide meaningful work for people in that community and a real career path. Or maybe he'll use his skills, his influence, his connections around the city to help nonprofits get more traction or to make the right connections to be more fruitful in their work. It could take all kinds of shapes. He's still figuring it out. But I am happy to say as a result of that weekend, Justin the Entrepreneur is now helping to start a network of Christian workplace leaders across the city from all neighborhoods and all sectors to begin thinking about what we and they could do together in our corner of the kingdom. So here's the idea. Following the call means recognizing the everyday places of your life as the front line of mission. Recognizing the everyday places of your life as the front line of mission. Now, your front line may very well include your work in and through the church because the church is all about engaging the needs of a fallen world and helping people find life with God. But your front line has to extend well beyond the church as well to all the places God might send you in the course of a week. And chances are that's going to include your working environment as well. Now, as I said, we'll try to pull all this together next week as we talk about knowing and finding your go. But as we finish up here today, I'd like you to hear from someone who's beginning to put all this together at a later stage in her life and career, but still in a very meaningful way. And it might help you to understand your story as well. So would you uh, join me in welcoming Jewel as uh, she comes to share a little bit of her story with us. Last week, Pastor Brian preached that knowing who I am not is as important as knowing who I am. I'm not a motivational speaker or preacher, so I have to take deep breaths. I'm nervous. 
My name is Jul Hyun. I was born in North Korea, fled to South Korea, lived in a refugee camp, went to college founded by an American missionary and married to a Christian. I came to United States to continue my studies in 1965, very long time ago. I'm retired from my career in IT and finance, but I'm actively engaged in teaching, developing leaders, and empowering women in Kenya. In the next couple of minutes, I would like to share with you how God led me to be where I am. I encountered the seriousness of worshiping God in North Korea when I was in the second grade standing in front of my classroom court on a trial. My crime was going to church every Sunday. And I was received guilty verdict and was sentenced to be demoted to an ICAST from class officership. Not long after the incident, the Korean War broke, and my, husband, my family, my parents and siblings, we fled North Korea on evacuation ship provided by American Navy. After a long hardship journey, we landed at a small island in South Korea and were taken to a refugee camp. Huge tents pitched in a schoolyard. When we were about to settle down our new home in a tent, we heard the church bell ringing. My mother grabbed me and my brother by hands and ran to the church. It was Christmas Eve. We sang Christmas carols without worrying about first time ever being captured by communist soldiers. Thus, my life in South Korea began. We eventually left the camp and went to the mainland when my father got a chemical engineer job in a tungsten mining town. I was able to go to school and learning in the eighth grade. It was first time I ever went to school since we left North Korea. Most of my classmates there were also escapees from North Korea, from the region where Christianity entered and the churches have been flourishing. They helped me a great deal to root my faith in Jesus Christ at a young age. In college, I met my future husband, who is from a family with a long legacy of Christian faith. We got married and came to America to pursue further studies. I have worked as an information technology professional for 30 years in the financial industry in Boston. My bosses acknowledged my contributions to the company and were happy with me. I was well compensated and my colleagues recognized my competence and respected my professionalism. During my work life, however, I had been constantly consumed by thoughts that I should be doing God's work and wondered what I was doing in the secular place doing secular work. I was not able to reconcile the disconnect between the Sunday life and the Monday work life. With this disconnect still unreserved, I took early retirement 
and started my own consulting firm, then closed it down, went to seminary. After seminary studies in 2006, I founded Matthew 28 Ministries to do the leadership development work in Kenya, which I'm still doing. Two years later, I had a life-changing experience when I was invited to sit in an intensive course on theology of work. Even before the first lecture ended, a profound truth about work was revealed to me. There is no such a thing as a secular work or sacred work. Work is sacred because God ordained it in the very beginning at the creation. God created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden to work for him. The Garden of Eden was their workplace. God put me in those places to do his work just as he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The refugee camp, schools, companies were all my Garden of Eden, where I was to be productive and fruitful. When these thoughts were flying through my mind, I became ecstatic and exclaimed that I was doing God's work all along. It was a liberating moment. Looking back, I see that my place in God's world varied along with the season of life. The refugee camp, the middle and high school days, college years, a foreign student's life in America, working as an IT professional, and the studies at seminary. Each of them was my Garden of Eden, the place to be in God's world at that stage of my life. Each place served me as a training ground for the next stage of my place. Today, my place is doing leadership development work in Kenya, focusing on gender equity, adult literacy, early childhood education, and women's empowerment for financial independence. I'm passionate about sharing my work experience just as much sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. God created us to do his work. Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working, John 5, 17. To God be the glory. I love how Jewel describes that, can I call it a whack in the head moment, where she said, I was doing God's work all along. She doesn't want you to have to wait 30 years to make that discovery. Neither do I. We hope that tomorrow you will show up at your workplace with a greater sense of mission and vision and significance. All those years, her work in IT, her work in the financial sector, all those years, she was serving the common good. She was bringing the presence of Christ to that sector of the workplace. I should let you know that Jewel is also part of our translation team. She helps make it possible for people to hear the Sunday sermon in their own language. So her front line includes her work at church, but extends beyond it. 
to a refugee camp in South Korea, to the financial sector of Boston, and to urban centers in Kenya. Now, where's your front line? Where do you engage a fallen world and people who might be seeking God? Chances are it includes your working environment. Now, your working environment may not feel like the Garden of Eden right now. And that's exactly why God put you there. In order to help that place become the place he wants it to be. A place of beauty and productivity and compassion and justice and kindness. A place that looks just a little bit more like the kingdom of God. So if that's where God has placed you for this season of your life, that he has work for you to do there. Good work. He's asking you to bring the kingdom to that particular place. Following the call means recognizing the everyday places of our lives as the front line of mission. Let's pray. Lord, we've been encouraged to hear Jewel's story and as moving and remarkable as it is, remind us, Lord, that we each have a story as well. That you have been just as attentive to our lives from the very beginning as you were to her life. That you are just as surely making and shaping and calling and placing us to do something good in this world. Thank you, Lord, that what we do tomorrow is just as important to you as what we're doing today. That our work is as important to you as our worship. And that, in fact, our work is a form of worship. So pray, Lord, in these days that each of us would continue to hear your particular call on our lives for this particular season of our lives. And that you would show us this week all the places we might do good work in this world. For Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.